I am Keith. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you uh, you coached a driver today. How like what was that yeah. like, and what were they driving? It was great. We were in a uh, a beautiful blue GT3 Touring 911 GT3 Touring. 100% recommend. If you can swing, <laughs> if you can swing it, I would recommend picking one up. Yeah. Um, so, what are the key differences between the GT3 Touring and the other GT3s? The Touring, uh, the Touring doesn't have a wing. So visually very different, but it's also a manual transmission. So it's like the purest. It's basically the affordable version of the 911R. Okay. The 911R is like the really super lightweight, you know, like only fancy, like only one paint color. You know, it's like half a million dollars. That's. Um, I have a friend that has one, ironically. too rich for my blood. Yeah. I thought for the the new 911s, it was the T edition. The T is cool as well. Okay. The T is a base Carrera. The lightest version, though. Yes, it's the lightest version, but it has the upgrade. It has the Carrera S motor, but it has all the lightest options. It's no GT3 motor, though. It's not a GT3. So the, the GT3 revs to 9,000 RPM. So it's very uh, nice. everyone who listens to this show probably knows, but like GT cars from Porsche are really unique and extraordinary in that they're really, right now, there aren't examples of like depreciating. Porsche GT cars. That's just not a thing. Like, for some reason, they just go up. And I, I think that reason is just that they're they're really good. So you think the 911R is, or excuse me, the excuse me, the GT3 Touring is the GT car to have? For me, yes, because it's a, if I was in, if I had the means to purchase a, like a Porsche GT car, which I don't, but if I did, it would probably be the one because the like the RS is a is a track weapon and you really don't want to take it to dinner. But the GT3 Touring is like 90% of it, but you can do anything with it. So it's it's not the same, but I think about the Golf R and the, the GT3 uh, um, Touring similarly in that the styling is subdued and they're very capable on track, but like they look like an adult would drive them. Yes. Um, and not like not like an adult that was trying to show off. It's just like, no, this is just my car. Yeah. Uh, the GT3 Touring looks that way. Yeah. In a, in a really just like like summarized manner, I had, I think, four different people, because I was with the car all day. You know, I was next to it. Four different people came up to me and were like, is this your car? It's beautiful. Like, it's just like elegant. It's just like the color combination. Just like everything about it. Something about not having the wing and having that fat rear end. Something about not being lime green with a yeah. three foot tall wing yeah, off the, the back. Lizard green is like, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it it catches people's attention, and I there is no dispute that it's not like a wicked fast car on track. It's just I I would agree that it would probably not be a car that you would drive to dinner with your wife uh, or you know anyone really. It's just a it's not a car you want to be around all the time. It's the car that you drive at the track. Yeah. And for for people that can afford like to buy like an RS as like this is my track car, it's like a disposable, usable tool. Then make it green, do whatever you want. But like Bobby, the the client that I've been working with, and like the way I would be if I was spending that amount of money on a car, it's like it's such a good car. Like there's plenty of space to put tons of stuff in it because it doesn't have back seats. The Porsche like the frunk is pretty big. It's got a lot. Like it's it's a really a fairly practical car. Yeah. Except they ha- it has 500 horsepower. It revs out to 9,000 RPM. And it runs like a freaking, it might as well be a Volkswagen Golf that costs more to service. Yeah. It's like 911s with no rear seat and Caymans, surprisingly, with the frunk and everything laid down. has a lot of room that people underestimate, actually. Yeah. Like, probably more than the Camaro. Like, so, using the trunk. 
Yes, definitely. The, for some reason, the Camaros are kind of limited. Like at least the new Camaros, fourth gens had yeah. a lot of room. Yeah, yeah, older ones oh, are yeah. Yeah, yeah more space. Like I, I was with Patrick Darty at Charlotte this summer, and we were trying to wedge all my. He picked me up from the airport, and he had all his stuff to go to the track, and we, uh, you know it was it was tight. Christopher Vanderwalk did a very very good job at finding just the right sized bins to stack everything in the back of the Camaro for one lap. It was a very interesting Tetris setup that took him multiple tries to figure out, and it worked perfect. <laughs> did he go to the container store? Uh, I doubt it. Hey, this <laughs> podcast is not sponsored by the container store because fuck that place. Uh, I don't recommend that any person, regardless of means, buy something from the container store because you're better off shopping at Walmart. <laughs> Uh, that's an aside, maybe for a later show. But uh, if you want to know more about the Container Store? Reach out to Abe. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes, man, you just you're, you're in don't. this trap. Abe does a lot. You, you're you're in this trap where you're you're ninety five percent of the way there. You got to go buy a couple more things, and well, damn it. I've been in the Container Store way too many times recently, uh, <laughs> given how much I do not like that place. Yeah. But. Uh, I've so, been to Hobby Lobby a lot. Oh, God, I hate Sucks. that place so much, too. Yeah. Except for the model airplane aisle. Pretty sweet. Other than that, it sucks. Yeah. Like, I'll buy, like, an F4U Corsair or a B25 model any you're, day. You're a model airplane guy? I'm just a, I'm just a, like, if I can drive it, fly it, do whatever with it, I'm into it. Yeah. Like, Have you like, flown a model airplane? No, no, I'm not a model one. <laughs> okay. I haven't figured out how to get myself small enough. I just figured out to ask. Yeah. But <laughs> So, uh, let's talk to Ethan for a minute. You, uh... You are now an employee at the Winning Formula. You're wearing the shirt that says that that's the case. And the beanie he had earlier. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the Winning Formula is a shop in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, get get my facts right. It's owned by Aaron Lichty. Yes. Uh, is, is it co-owned or just owned? Just owned. Okay, so Aaron bought it from a guy um, at, you know, kind of right place, right time. And, like, Aaron was is a good mechanic and uh, a very talented racer, but the the brand has really evolved uh, a great deal into this shop that people try to put competitive race cars together. And um, I knew you from coming to Grid Life this year, and you you've established a reputation, um, like it or not, as like the guy who's in the paddock wrenching on people's shit to help them get back on track. And that is um, that's invaluable, and you are loved for it. So I, I hope that you know that. But you moved to Louisville now, mm-hmm. and you you had your first week at the winning formula. What was that like? Um, there was a lot of uh, just watching for the most part, because just like any new place, you gotta get used to it and see what their methods are. Because you don't want to go in there, you know, ham fist and think you know everything. And clearly, I don't. So I want to learn as much as they can provide me. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, for every about 10 cars that come in, seven of them are about street cars, and three of them are actual trap prep machines. And a lot of people don't really notice that. So, like, what's your typical client for a street car? For a street car, we could be talking anything from uh, just a weekend warrior to a autocross guy okay. to a... Uh, just tweaks so like, on the road. Still mostly enthusiast cars, not like yeah. changing brakes on a you know a Passat. Entry level prep. We cars. Um, we also do that. I mean, it's 
just like any other shop, we do do daily driver vehicles, tow rigs, stuff like that. And, uh, but, uh, usually if we have time, then we'll set aside for the, the bigger projects, the more track focused projects. And so like, you know, for listeners who aren't already familiar, the winning formula cars are, um, N B Miatas, um, that are all K swapped. Um, they're extremely fast. So, Emil and Aaron and Robin and Sherry, especially all three of those guys have incredibly well prepped GLTC cars and they're always in the hunt for the, the front or the podium when they're at an event. And uh, I think what's really exciting about watching all these guys race is that they're, you know, they're animals driving, but like cars are sorted and you know, they might fight here issues here and there, but like, they come to race and they don't come to a weekend to work on their car. You know what I mean? Which is like not always true for, for everyone at any particular grid wife weekend. And we, I guess we understand because the weeks are busy and the weekends are the time that you might have to do a little extra wrenching. But like if you're in the paddock wrenching, you're not, you know, you're not dialed and, and mentally in the headspace to win. And sometimes Aaron man puts just, he puts on a clinic watching him race is amazing. So, uh, Andrew recently had uh, GLTC weekend at NOLA had his first, you, you did win, right? Uh, finished second overall. You have to put the microphone near your face. That's how it works. Finish second overall. That's a good point. Finish second overall. And that was really good. Thanks um, to Eric. Not, uh, not calculating his, uh, you know, Eric's correctly. an engineer and, Engineers are sometimes good at math, but not always. You know, either way, like I, I was kind of impressed that we were even. In, I, I went down there expecting to be like very mid pack because of the configuration of the car. So I was really happy with that. And not knowing, you know, I haven't done any like sprint racing in several years, so it was a personal challenge as well. But what do you think about sprint racing? Uh, well, I did a lot of it with um, with World Challenge, and I loved it. So it's never been my skill, though. For some reason, endurance racing just has always been something I've been a little more suited to, I guess. Just okay. The, just the being able to, like, get the car to the limit within the first four to five laps and leave it there, like, do it, do that for two hours. But uh, but I've not been, like, I wouldn't be a great time attack driver. So I want to get better at that because that's where my, that's where, like, the biggest gap in my skill set lies. Like, I need to be fast on the outlap. Yeah. So that was that was really what that was what incentivized me personally to like pursue getting the GLTC car on the grid was to be like there's only fifteen twenty minutes of time in the race like you have to go fast every lap. You should try um, one lap. You should you should go out and go to a track that you've never been to before and use your outlap as your sight lap. And then as soon as the 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 flag goes, you just you just have to run it fast as you can for three yeah. laps. That sounds like fun. It's so hard. One lap is one of the most difficult and fun things I've done. So I think I've said <laughs> yeah. this on the show. Depending on the track, to the, the track configuration, if you enter the track maybe after turn one, um, it's possible that at the end of your first lap on your entry into turn one, it will be the first time ever that you have seen turn one at speed. And that's weird. Yeah, that's true. Because like, like if you go to Road Atlanta, you pop out past turn one. If yep. you're if you're if you're entering the track from pit lane, so your first flying lap and turn one at Road Atlanta is like 
80 gnarly. miles an hour plus minimum speed. Oh my shit. That was God. a blown transformer. I think and we blew uh, a transformer. We, uh, we are in we, the dark. We lost now. power. So I, we might go somewhere else. <laughs> Being honest, <laughs> it's pitch black here. Oh, and uh, um, my gear is almost dead. Nope. So. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pause for a minute and wait for power maybe. So thanks for listening, everybody. Welcome back to the Slip Angle Podcast. It's been about a minute since the what we think to be transformer exploded, and uh, the power's back on. So it couldn't have been that bad, but it got dark in here, and there was a bright flash of light. So that was weird. What were we talking about? I don't know, but I'm really impressed. The transformer blue. Yeah, so oh, if you enter, if you talk. like on the one lap <laughs> philosophy, if one lap goes to Road Atlanta, right, you would enter either pit lane, there's two pit lanes, you would enter the track past the apex of turn one. So you're getting up the speed. And turn one at Road Atlanta is it's fast. It, it falls away. The minimum speed in almost, almost anything is 80 miles an hour plus. And you uh, run out of track out easily. What, what's the real number? I, I think it, the real number is about 95. If yeah. you're fast, if like, you have arrow and a lot of contact patch. I mean, a I've GLTC seen, car yeah. should do like 95 there. Yeah, yeah they, GLTC car, yeah, Hoosiers and Arrow should do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. But I was going to say is you're saying all these numbers of what minimums and stuff are going to be and not seeing it at speed for the first time. I've never been to Road Atlanta. Yeah. It's going to be my first time for one lap if it happens this year and everything. I will be doing it in the SRT Durango yeah. for my first time. It's probably I'm excited an and terrified plus. about this. Yeah. So that like eighty miles an hour is like the min- that's like the uh, lowest common denominator. Like pretty much any car you drive around Atlanta, that's like the slowest car you could drive. Eighty miles an hour is the minimum speed at one. But so it's it, fast. It's it's just so it's such a that. strange yeah. event, that, and it makes it so hard, right? Like there is tremendous benefit to having driven all the courses before because you know going out and trying to drive eight or nine tenths on a track you've never seen is hard, and uh, even today. Finch and I were driving at Barbara. None of us, we had never, neither have driven here. And uh, before the last session of the day, he and I were very close. And I was uh, proud that I was out of the car for the last four years. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not awful. Uh, at the same time, in a session, you don't, you don't get much uh, comfort in in a car in a track that you've never been to, like. So in a 25-minute session, if you're not really, really dialed, imagine only getting three laps and you have to use all of them. Right? There, are, there are no throwaways, and that's what makes the event so hard. Um, so like, if you go off track and you blow it, you, just have, to, you have to own that failure. And that's, it's a really, really hard event. Like one lap 2019, uh, Nelson Ledges, after a course of skid pad and autocross, was our first track day. Um, and Travis Pastrana, Bilko, and... Um, Drawing a blank now, Eric, is it Curran? Former prototype diver? Yeah. 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 All pros. All went off in Nelson Ledges. You know what? Just I, like uh, trying to send it to get a lap time? Mm-hmm. The yeah, very first track like day. so much fun. It's hard, man, because like, if you get it wrong, you you have to live with it. And the other thing that's hard is like, you know, you, to finish first, you have to finish. And... Um, you know, if you run the car too hard and you break a diff or whatever and you sit out uh, even one session because you're working on the car, you might not come back from that. Like, you know, a DNF for one event. So in, in one lap, the morning is an event. The afternoon is an event. If you sat out and got zero points for an afternoon, it'd kill you. And so, like, 
you have to keep the car running and you have to protect it and you like it has to be reliable on the transits because it, let's say if the car broke down at 10 o'clock at night and, and you, you lose all your coolant on the side of the road yeah like if if you have to stay up late to try and get it fixed the next morning you're not fresh enough and you're not there it's uh it's a really hard event so that brings me to the question of like we've all done crazy shit to get to the track and like no matter what the event get a car on track and compete what's the what's the best story that you all have of like i can't believe i actually made this event work you know like whether it's like breaking shit on the way there or like we broke something at the track and we fixed it like what's like the what's like the one that's the most out there that's like most people would give up so but we didn't we um, didn't give up in the middle of one lap uh let's see what day was that after pit race which was day two so the first race at tire is at tire rack it's on the wet skid pad day two uh was at pit race for us and i did like pretty well on a track that i had never driven on but we were towing um like a very special but out of the ordinary u-haul uh trailer to store all of our gear it was like an aero type trailer, um, like clamshell type thing. And it was smaller than a, one of their small cargo trailers. Um, going from pit race to uh, Palmer, we had like two tire failures uh, on the trailer that day. And you like you had to wait for a record to come up and deliver you a U-Haul tire. And like U-Haul was happy to do that sometimes it just took time and so like uh the only like my my dad was with us and we we basically gave up on this trailer because it was two tire failures on the same day and one of those tires was brand new um the 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 second tire i guess and so um my dad threw a big fit at u-haul and like they were like well we can get you a different trailer and they they gave us a five by eight cargo trailer to tow with my Evo through the mountains in like West Virginia and Massachusetts and whatever. And there's a safe. The photos are still entertaining today. They're, they're insane because the, the box trailer is like, this is like an enclosed trailer. Yeah. It's an enclosed trailer with With my Evo. Um, which probably has like a little like half inch trailer hitch. No. Yeah. It was, it was stupid. It was stupid. Um, so like we fought trailer issues for the majority of the trip. And it was right around Louisville, actually, where the weight of the trailer, uh, the the hitch was kind of like a custom fabricated thing. It wasn't a commercial unit. It was not designed to do what we were asking. And so like the 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 receiver portion like started to sag a little bit so that the tongue of the trailer was almost on the ground. Um, And so we had to drop the trailer in Louisville and we also dropped all of our stuff in Richmond, Indiana, because that day we were fighting with uh, like exhaust leak issues pre-turbo on the turbo manifold. And like I, from, from Pegasus, I had to order like, you know, V-band flanges and V-band clamps on that day. And we drove from NCM to uh, uh, road America with a pit stop at Pegasus uh, to pick up uh, like band clamps and dropped all our shit, and we slept in the car at Road America because we got to the track at 3 in the morning, and the gates were locked. And we had missed our hotel, and we were just like, well, it's it's April in Wisconsin, and it's cold here, 
So we just like left the car running for a couple of hours with an, I mean, like everything was leaking. Like everything on that car was fucked at that time. And uh, we just slept in front of the gate at Road America and waited for it to open at like six o'clock. That's brutal. Good one lap stories. <laughs> uh, what about you? So um, I was working uh, one Saturday when I got a message from uh, Ryan over here. And uh, they were having a champ car endurance race at uh, Gingerman. And uh, it was about 2.30. I got a message from uh, Ryan in the group chat saying that they needed a couple parts for their champ car. I'll kind of tag team this story a little bit because my other story I've already told about one lap. So I'm not going to tell it again. So um, ultimately, we, we reached out to Ethan because we were doing our first champ car race in the Black Flag Motorsports Civic SI, 8th Gen. And day one was not going so well when we made contact with the Miata over a braking issue. Um, and well, yeah, we just we took ourselves out of the race, essentially. Then it was a scramble to find parts. If you can continue. <laughs> so at the time, uh, I uh, wrecked my personal SI uh, a couple months before, and I still had a, a parts car shell at my parents' house. And so after work, I headed uh, sh- straight back home, had about an hour to take off the parts for the car. For which was a steering rack and a knuckle that eventually didn't work out. But we got the rack out and the knuckle off, and then I had to go over to my brother's house, pick up a camera for stuff to do later that weekend up in Michigan. So then, at that point, headed up to Gingerman and uh, got there about half hour before I originally planned, but it was kind of urgent matters, so I really needed to, to provide. And prior to Ethan, we did try to, and I drove the the one lap Durant, because I still had it at the time, from Gingerman, drove around uh, Mishawaka, uh, South Haven, anywhere we could within an hour or so of us looking for parts, hour, hour and a half. We couldn't get anything. So we just started reaching to anyone we could that might have had an ace gen or knew people with ace gens and spare parts. So the only uh, issue with this was is the parts car that I had, that I had was a base model ace gen, which had a traditional power steering rack. Not the electric one that we yeah. needed. And uh, all HNSIs come with electric power steering racks. And so we're like, well, the only thing we can do this is to depower the rack and just make it truly manual and then just run it as is. And, uh, you know, we get that done at 2.30 in the morning. And uh, he's simplifying it a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. <laughs> so during the stage when of course we asked him for help and he did come very quickly exceeded the time he was giving us he would be there thank you <laughs> which did help us a much more uh during the process we of course we started to learn very quickly that some of the parts weren't gonna quite work out like we hoped which you know it is what it is we dealt with the manual rack of course um other than that that we were still missing something though that we needed it was the was it the knuckle or the hub which what was it was a piece uh, that we needed still. It was the hub that okay. we that you guys needed. Okay. So before we got to two thirty in the morning, though, we happened as we're still working on the vehicle. Michael Vladif is coming by, uh, and just happens to be, oh hey, how's it going, guys? And uh, he 
he did offer it earlier in the day, and I, I well, I called him on it. Hey, man, still okay with me uh, going to pick up your uh, 8th Gen SI and cannibalizing it tonight and putting the parts back on tomorrow? Threw me the keys right away without thinking twice. So this is around 9.30 like p.m. parked at the track. This is his street car, he drove not there. at the track. He's at, it's at it's his at home because he drove his personal vehicle, the other one he does long commutes in, his hybrid, um, to the track to do GLTC, I believe, that weekend. And he goes, yeah, it's in the garage. Here's the code. Here's the address. <laughs> so Dustin Barty, the owner of the Black Flag Motorsports Civic SI, I just rent a seat, <laughs> uh, he jumped in the, the Durango with me, or where we had the moment, and we drove all the way down, roughly a little over an hour, 15 minutes each way to go get it. Getting back around 10, 11 p.m., was it? It's dark. It was late. It was about 10. Yeah. It was late. And then we started the process of disassembling his 8th gen SI to reassemble ours for tomorrow. So, yes, we did end up finishing around 2.30 in the morning, roughly. And that had to happen first. You yes, to, that had to, to happen first. And that was a else's car. big part of it, cannibalizing someone else's car. That um, perfectly worked, by the way. That did perfectly work. Well, that's why you wanted We did it. the road, uh, as I call it, the Mad Max Road Warrior setup, where we had no bumper, uh, the fenders were a little wrinkled, and we used as much chicken wire and zip ties to make a front end that would protect the radiator from getting hit by any debris potentially and damaging it. And 2.30 in the morning, sure enough, barely any sleep, waking up the next day, ready to go, uh, making a very long story short the next day. Uh, our transmission got stuck in, well, only having fourth gear. No third to use, no second. So we did all of Gingerman for roughly seven hours in fourth gear with four drivers. So much fun. And won the B Street class and champ car our first time out with it that might say a lot about your driving ability but it might also say about the quality of your competition oh there was attrition i'm not gonna lie they uh a few people went out in the final two hours that did help us so that's endurance racing it is endurance racing though as we found out plenty this year (laughs) what about you andrew you've got like a long history in racing do you have you know what's what's one of your greatest you know finish at all cost moments so I've been I've been sitting over here thinking about like what the because I've got several like piece the car back together pull car pull parts off the rental car stories that like been there done that a couple of times um, and the but the but the most interesting story is not piecing a race car back together but it's a tow rig tow vehicle story. I, I but love it's, those, but it's probably the, it's probably the most like extreme. the only thing that would make it better is if it were a motorhome. Yeah, it it is. <laughs> oh yes. no! Yeah, oh, so it's a we're going to class story. C already. In in the spirit of the uh, uh, C class <laughs> citizens, there uh, we go. B side podcast, the Slip Angle Show. Uh, no, the, but the, the most interesting. I won't go into it, but we we changed a motor at the VIR twenty four hour in a in a three twenty five BMW. You know, motor went out in the first hour, put a new motor in it, we're back in by midnight. That's a pretty interesting story. But it's not as interesting as me flying up. So I bought I bought a toter home, uh, a, like Caterpillar diesel-powered toter home. You know, as you do. America. As you do. For t- <laughs> for $19,500. Excellent. Cheap. Yep. This is like a like a semi-toter home. Yeah. They they don't sell for twenty thousand dollars. Did it require right. a special license? It did not. Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It it might have. I didn't give one. 
Um, Got it. I had, so, so, so before this, I had, I had a 40 foot gooseneck trailer and had a perfectly good Dodge 2500, like in 2009, six, seven Cummins, had all, everything was deleted, straight pipe, thing got like 22 miles per gallon. Four wheel, I mean, it was an awesome truck. It's a manual transmission, tons of fun. Great, great tow vehicle, perfect tow vehicle. It ran fine. My dumbass is like, okay, we're going pro racing this year. I'm going to spend all my money on entry fees and tires. I got to, like, we got to stay at the track to make this. The only way I can do that is if I have a rig we can sleep in. Right. So, like, we got to get a motorhome, but it's got to be able to tow the trailer. Right. And we got to put two race cars in the trailer. Because we're running a two car World Challenge TC team at the time. Well, and you can't have an open trailer. You can't be pro racing with an open trailer. Jesus yeah. Christ. We had kind of migrated past that. So, I did, I mean, the, our trailer would fit. We could fit both cars if we took the bumpers off of both cars. We could wedge them in, and then we could fit enough stuff. So then I realized I have to buy another. I'm going to have to end up with another. we got to take another trailer to the track with us because we can't fit any of the other stuff. So I was like, okay, we're, but we're going to do the toter home thing. I'm committing to it. So I sold my truck, which was an awesome truck. I sold it. And so I bought this piece of shit I didn't know at the time, <laughs> toter home. So I fly from Birmingham, Alabama. It's like this time of year. So like in Birmingham, the winter, the winter is like, like this is worse. Like the weekend, like this weekend this is as cold as it gets. What was it today? It was like forty-two and mostly cloudy. Like oh, so miserable. And it was windy. No, just kidding. So like <laughs> yeah. it was, it was cold. We were all on the track and we were fine. But it was like, I mean, it's it's winter. I this saw the sun as as in January. Yeah, that does so much better than Michigan right now. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> this it's about as cold as it gets. It'll it'll get there. Usually we'll have a week in like late January, early February where it's twenties, maybe high teens, a little bit of snow. That's about it. So I fly to Martin Luther King weekend. So this same weekend, like like this weekend, I fly to St. Paul, Minnesota. Cross. <laughs> here we go yeah minneapolis st paul coming in hot and uh, i bring i bring my buddy robert with me who ends up building our accord race car later with me he's, he ended up working for me full time but at the time he's just like hey man i'll pay 100 bucks if you fly with me to minnesota and drive a toter home back and he's like yeah let's go okay so we're in minneapolis and of course it's snowing and like we stay we stay in Minneapolis, and then we have to drive like an hour and a half north to St. Cloud, Minnesota, to pick this thing up. And on our way up there, there are, there are like two semis on the side of the road from sliding off in the ice. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're in Minnesota in the winter. Like, shit happens. And so he's looking at me, and we're looking at him, we're like, that's... I, I've never driven a semi before, <laughs> but we're going to drive semi. it back to Alabama. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to drive it And just to guess, did home. any of you check the tires prior to see if they were summer-only highway-style? Nope. Yeah. Yeah, okay. zero. Just wondering. So we, Brad we didn't, from Tyrac was working We didn't have to worry about that though because we got there and it wouldn't start. <laughs> yeah. So we arrived and the guys were like, "They're like, hey, we're gonna put new batteries in it because it doesn't it doesn't crank currently." And I was like, "Cool, cool. I'm here to buy it. I'm here to drive it 15 hours home." So basically, they had to like I, I don't know what they had to do because it was a it was a used car dealership, used diesel truck dealership. But eventually, they get it running, and this thing is like, I didn't expect much, but it is like literally like a porta potty on a on a chassis cab i mean nice. it, it is awful like zero insulation i mean like the wind goes straight through the thing like it is it is awful and it's a caterpillar 3126 diesel okay which they made in like 150 190 220 horsepower variants okay ours is whatever the most lethargic of all <laughs> this is so like this thing pinned flat out with nothing behind it will go like 75 
Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like pin, like pinned. That reminds me of experience with some uh, Fords and uh, Kenworths I've driven in the past. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably yeah, and, and up a hill with no load, sixty five or less. So we're like, okay, we're going to take our time. And I remember uh, before I left, the the guy that um, kind of ushered me into the sport in a lot of ways did a lot of NASCAR stuff in the seventies, built motors, and he's like, don't trust that. You know, he's lifelong Alabamian, right? Don't trust that cinder fuel cinder. That's not going to read right, like. You know, stop at half a tank. Like, oh. <laughs> he's like, he's like, trust. Oh no, stop at half a tank. That's a that's probably pretty good advice. Turns out it was great advice. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So we stop at half a tank. We do fuel mileage. I think I think maybe Robert calculated the fuel mileage. I don't know. One of us got twelve miles per gallon. We're like, that seems possible. That, that seems pretty good actually. We were getting six miles per gallon. That seems more realistic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unloaded. So we're cruising through, like, we've done one fuel stop. We're cruising through, like, Champaign, Illinois. Outside air temps, like, probably 16, 17 degrees. It's snowing. Snow on the ground. Two feet of snow on the ground. And I'm cruising past, like, get past an exit. And all of a sudden, I'm going down a hill. And the RPM just goes from one to, like, it's like. I'm like, the fuel the fuel is, like, just below half. It's like three-eighths of a tank. Over three-eighths of a tank. I'm, like, sitting there looking at Robert. And he's, like, kind of, like, falling asleep and i'm like oh there's an exit okay so i coast off into the exit and as i pull into a fuel stop at a diesel pump the engine dies <laughs> and i'm like sitting there never run out of fuel in a diesel before so not thinking you don't just fill it back up right i mean diesels run like with the fuel pressures like what tens of thousands of psi it's it's very high yes yeah so we stop at the pump. The gas station shut down. So first of all, I can't pump fuel into it. So we're like, okay, we're going to walk across to the other side of the, we're going to walk across the, like the pass over, like the bridge going over the interstate and we're going to get fuel and we're going to put it back in the truck and we're going to go like, we got a gallon that'll get us to the next. Nope. So we go get fuel. We walk through snow. It's literally 15 degrees. We fill it back up. It doesn't start, right? Like it's, it's a freaking, it's a diesel. And so we like start reading about it and we start reading about like you have to prime, prime that bitch. the fuel system. And we're like yep. looking at each other like we have no tools. <laughs> we are so far <laughs> over our heads we right are, now. We are so far out. <laughs> no, like, trust that fuel setting unit. <laughs> we, we aren't just like a little over our heads. We have like drowned in the <sighs> deep end. We're like neither of us have ever worked on anything diesel before. We're like reading about prime and fuel, but I'm calling everybody that I know. I call AAA. The triple A guy shows up and he's like, y'all need to jump? And I'm like, maybe. Like, let's just keep you here for a little while and see if you can help us. And so he tries to help and eventually he's just like, I can't. I got to leave. So Robert and I decide the only viable option is to spend the night in the toter home, which as we discussed before, there's no insulation. We freezing your ass off. It was 20 degrees. Yeah. You know, my last ride to uh, Coda was similar in that in that really? regard. What episode was that, Abe? <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I don't want to derail your story, but last year, Adam had just bought a new Class A and hadn't had time to get the furnace to work. Uh, and so the heat in his RV was limited to, like, the chassis heat, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, the blower motors at the front... And the engine is at the back, which is ample time for all of the heat going through coolant to, to cool not down. be warm. Yeah. 
And so uh, totally. I, I swear it was like zero degrees that day. That's not an exaggeration. I believe that that was the temperature. So we lived the same reality. And for 20 <laughs> plus hours, uh, we shivered in Adam's RV. Now, our fatal flaw, the, the mistake that we made was Adam was running the generator the whole time, um, which was diesel. It was great. It made, you know, power like you'd expect it to. I stopped or when, when we stopped, I went to uh, Walmart and I bought like wool socks and a cheap sleeping bag. And I, I just I sat in the passenger seat in a sleeping bag for 20 hours, like freezing my ass off. And Adam's freezing his ass off. And it's so cold in the RV that there's frost on the throttle pedal. Uh, it's cold in there. Uh, genius us. We were like, man, you know what we should have done is probably just bought like some electric heaters because we had power. <laughs> yeah. Some space heaters. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But oh, so so, how did you get out of your situation? So, yeah. So so Robert and I look at each other and we're like, we're gonna have to cuddle for warmth. Basically, there, I mean, there comes to a point the body <laughs> heat would be the only thing yeah, to keep you alive. I'm not kidding. <laughs> not a so joke. <laughs> we started out because like you could lay the bed flat. It was a little toter. You could like lay the bed kind of flat across. So we started off on our own sides. We don't have any blankets. I mean, we didn't. We thought we were driving this thing back. Like we don't have anything. We have like I don't even. I mean, I'm from Alabama. Like we don't get like winter here is not a big. Like I don't even have insulated clothing. I don't have anything warm. You know, this is warm. Like this is all the clothing I have. You're wearing a, a vest. And uh, like a tee with an Under Armour shirt. Like, that's what you probably yeah. wore. This is actually Valero. It's motorsports. It's fire resistant. Oh, Valero different. Motorsports. Check it out. Yeah. Body regulating, temperature regulating material. I've actually yeah. heard about Andrew speaking about them before. Yeah, it's very cool. It does sound cool. We're going to talk about that another time. I wish I had had it at the time. Would have been helpful. But uh, so we started out on separate sides, just kind of sleeping like on our own. And we start like throughout the night. I wake up and I'm closer and closer. And eventually I wake up and we're just like butt to butt. You know, like, because we're like, we're warm, like our bodies are warm. We're like, and eventually we're just like looking at each other and like, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're so cold. It's like, it's freezing. So right? I assume the toter like didn't have blankets. You didn't pack anything. Nothing. Man, that's ill advice. It was so bad. Yeah. And so we wake up the next morning. At least you're still alive. We're alive. We're alive. Now people are answering my phone calls because, of course, it was 2 a.m. when that ha- You know, we're going to drive through the night. We're idiots. Like, let's go. You know, these so, things never happen at a good time, by the no. way. And it's Sunday. So we wake <laughs> up on a Sunday, which, as everybody knows, the best day to buy parts, especially semi truck parts, right? Especially semi truck parts in a small town. It's just it's, it's going to work. Right. It's going to be great. So I'm like looking at Robert like we got it. Like we got to get home. We got to figure this out. And we're, we're sitting at the diesel pump. We're like, so we can fill it up. But that's not our problem. We need a we need a caterpillar fuel filter, a caterpillar. It's this big, right? It's like this is for a caterpillar industrial diesel engine. They don't carry like Napa doesn't have it, <laughs> you know. In this case, Napa had it. A uh, Napa truck. I'll amend that. Yeah, Advanced O'Reilly's. None of the other ones had it. So we didn't have a way to get to the auto parts stores, which were all like ten miles from where we were. So we walk into McDonald's. I remember I bought some oatmeal, pretty good oatmeal. I was thinking that it's like it's actually pretty good. This is warm, given that I yeah. Been, this so. is this is like the warmest thing I can put in my body. And I hear some guys talking. They're like, you know, it's like a group of older guys. They're there. It's Sunday morning. They're all having like their morning breakfast meeting, drinking coffee, and they're talking about racing. And I hear them talking about riding the cushion, and some other stuff. I'm like, these guys are dirt racers. 
So I walk over. I'm like, you guys race cars? And they're like, yeah. I was like, me too. And all of a sudden, we hit it off, start talking about, I don't know, driving race cars. And then eventually, I like look at one guy, and I'm like, that's my, my RV over there, my like toter home. We ran out of fuel pulling in here last night, and I need I don't know how to prime the fuel system. I'm pretty sure that's what we need to do. I don't even know. Like I just need to get it started and get home. And this guy's like, man, my name's Todd. I race a sprint car. My son's a Peterbilt mechanic, and I know a lot about diesels. And I was like, Todd. You're my new best friend. <laughs> we are now buddies. How much money do you need? I don't have much, but I can offer you eternal friendship. <laughs> and so Todd, Todd drives Robert and myself around to every part store in the greater Champaign, Illinois area until we find a Caterpillar fuel filter. And Todd buys a, we buy a battery pack and we buy something else. There's some little, and, and then we get back, we, we flip, you know, we open up the motor Todd puts the new fuel filter on. There's some little valve that you press and you hold, and then you got to crank that motherfucker for like three minutes. <laughs> you're, you're bleeding the fuel system, essentially. Yeah, you're I had to do this at Humvees. So, so yeah. I think Adam on the podcast talked about priming. Um, he recently uh, cleaned fuel filters and stuff on his Class A, which likely had never been done. So it was, it was bad. And he said that it took three hours to effectively prime the diesel system in that class. I believe it. Uh, it's so not an easy process. So you're, you're priming. And We're you're priming. Cranking. To, you know, it's just things turning over. Fortunately, like, yep, yep. We're just just priming it, unscrewing, trying to get trying to bleed the fuel out of the high pressure fuel system. So probably three minutes of cranking, like literally turning the, the motor over for three minutes. It starts to it starts to crank. One like one cylinder at a time, you know it's a straight six. Like this is like one cylinder. The next cylinder it cranks so slow you didn't think motors could go that. Yeah, slow. you're like the piston literally is moving like and then and it's smoking like a freaking yeah. You can't even believe it. it's like it's you're at a concert. Yeah, and and eventually it it starts running and Todd's like, you're good to go, and I was like Todd, you just. Like, I'm going to send you a Christmas card. You saved it. I don't, Todd, you don't know what we had to do last night. <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't know. You don't know. You weren't there. You don't know what we struggled through. So we ended up driving it back home. Got six miles per gallon the rest of the way home. Did you trust the fuel sending in it? Nope. Stopped at half a tank. <laughs> yep. And that's when I learned. Yep. So uh, I've been driving. I bought Adam's uncle's old RV. It has now 75,000 miles on it or so. Um, it's a, a Ford E450 van chassis. I assume that it has a low fuel light. I have never driven so far to find out because I don't know if the gauge really works and I don't want to be in a place where I can't get fuel. And there was, um, there was an instant coming, or excuse me, an instance coming back from Pikes Peak this year where Waze took us not on I-70, um, yeah. Instead, we were coming from uh, Colorado Springs, which is south of Denver, and Denver is where That's when you seventy stopped goes. At, like the co-op. Yeah, yeah. Um, I swear to God, it was a hundred miles where we didn't have access to anything, and I was like, "This could have been really bad." Like, there was nothing here, and the service, the cell phone service was bad, and I'm driving a twenty-year-old RV. What? What am I doing? Why did Waze send me this way? Don't they know I'm driving a piece of shit? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. We should compensate for our shitty vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird, right? Like when you take long trips like that, especially in old stuff, it's yeah. not like and out west where you've got expanse. And you know. even even our ride to Dakota when Adam was looking for truck parts, it's like you got to stay on the beaten path because if you need if you need something, you're not looking for like random, you know, typical car part. It's like I need an air dryer for a you know a brake system for a semi truck it's like yeah there's like there's one of those in houston and there's one in little rock and like yeah. if you need one between. between then well fuck you yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta find a guy named todd to race the dirt cars and that's all you that's your only option yeah so so for how long did you have the toter home because that sounds I fun i had the toter home for about a year and it was a piece of shit Yep. Well, that's what you get when you buy a total for yep. nineteen grand. And I had to put a fan clutch on immediately. It overheated immediately. Like the first trip I took it on, it started overheating. Fan clutch, you know, went out. <laughs> this trip started excellently. <laughs> yeah, it started great. <laughs> so you yeah. bought it for nineteen grand. What'd you sell it for? I do not even remember. Man. I couldn't even tell you. I think I actually sold it for more than I bought it for because it had recent maintenance and I, but the problem was that we, we put so much weight behind it. So the first trip we went on, okay, this is, this is another just great decision-making put together. Don't have enough. Well, we only, we have enough funding to enter the race and maybe get there maybe and buy tires. Maybe like, I mean, it's fringy, right? So we're taking two cars to most sport from Birmingham it's in the toter. Haul. So remember, it would go 65 up a hill with nothing behind it. Now we're putting two, a Volkswagen GTI and a Jetta and TC trim and a 40-foot trailer. We are flat flat shifting. I, I learned how to flat, like literally leave the, like you just peg the thing against the rev limiter and push the clutch and shift in the next gear and leave your foot wide open throttle. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to, like you're not going to make it up the hill. I mean, we're going like through like Chattanooga, Tennessee, like, you know, Oh yeah, forty miles an hour or less. Unbelievable! Feel yeah. the power. And and then the we had to have another. I ended up. Uh, I think I bought an excursion. I think my dad and I bought an excursion as like the other tow vehicle to go along with it because we had to pull I'll, another trailer. I'll be honest, like an excursion pulling a two place trailer probably a better choice than your tow. It road. probably would have done better. Surprisingly, excursions are really good at towing two vehicles at a time. I've seen it many many times at Solar Nationals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was a V8 excursion. Oh, they're usually the, diesels, though. Never the, mind. Yeah, the 5.4. <laughs> yeah. I take that back. It got worse <laughs> mileage than the Toter home. And we drove all the way to, to Mosport, which is a 23, 24-hour drive from here. And we got held up at the border for like six hours. Like, cause it's because Alabamans are uh, suspicious. Well, we had a South African with us who did not have a, a recent pass. His passport was not current, or his uh, his visa had expired. That was a little questionable. My paperwork for the – I had to fill out the, the border crossing paperwork for a professional sporting event. So I had to fill it like – because we were like we're going into, you know, the country where like we can earn money doing this. So now we like file under all these different laws because it's a it's – a, so we had to like file – you know, we had to put an itemized list of everything in the – everything that we had with us. Had to go on a spreadsheet and had to go into like a – whatever they call it. It's like a – it's not called a passport. It's called like a. It's a declaration or whatever they yeah, call it. Yeah, it's a beginning declaration. It's a, a fancy word. It's a, some French yeah, carnet. I, there you go. And you give that shit to them, and they look through it, and they're like, "You're good to go." Usually, but they look through it, and they're like, "We're going to put you in our holding area." And I'm like, "No, no, no. We're going to the track. We got to go race track." 
They're like, nope, you're going to. We sat in like this sketchy Canadian. We're in Windsor, Ontario, right across from Detroit, like for like five hours in the middle of the night, waiting for them to just be like. And then they just walk in. They're like, you're good to go. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you literally just cost us five hours. Thanks yeah. a lot, Canada. It was awful. the only thing you've ever done is cost Andrew time and steal my Jeep. So yeah. did they say sorry ever? They, they said sorry a lot. Yeah. Okay, that's good at least. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, James, we know you're listening. We love you, but uh, the and rest Ultra of Canada, we, well, we miss you, you guys. Count sand. Yeah. John and Jason Dunsky, Ultra Motorsports, Apex Pro Canadian dealer. Fantastic people. We, we miss all of our Canadian, all Canadian friends that have not been able to participate in anything in the last year. Yeah, we miss you. But uh, we're down here at Barber this weekend, and uh, Finch and I were driving the Civic, and we had some tire rub in the beginning. It was, it was a problem. And uh, while well, Ethan and uh, our buddy Ronnie from RS Motors um, – well, we got the Milwaukee angle grinder out, and we we made some clearance, Clarence. And uh, how's we, your vector, Victor? <laughs> well, um, it, uh, it it took some work, and I think it's fine now. But we had to cut a decent portion of the rear fender, like inside. It's gone, and uh, you know, Mugen be damned. It's it's uh, we're at the track, and we're here to run. So yeah, we we didn't drive all this way to not run. So fix it. This is a warning for everyone. The Falcon RT660 is an amazing tire, but that runs it, wide. It runs extraordinarily it's a fat wide. Boy. It's a big I, boy. I was <laughs> it's told. Boy. It's a meaty boy. It's a big boy. I, I was told that a 245 would fit on the back end of a Civic, and it does not. Most will. Well, how does it? How does the car rotate? Does it come around pretty good? Does it rotate? Uh, when you're running really, really hard, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you um, can always go to a two twenty five in the rear and like free up the rear. We were talking bit. about reverse stagger setups. Right yeah, today. like reverse stagger. Yeah. Even if you go to a two thirty five, it might work. Yeah, um, just a little bit more clearance, uh, maybe a little bit freer in the rear end, but like a, I don't know, the car today, to me, felt exactly how i wanted it to it was completely underneath uh, underneath you all the time and i don't have very much rear wheel drive experience so my you know my driving experience is evos and now this car and so like knowing that the car is planted and you know it, it, it is where you expect it to be underneath you it was just just drive as hard as you can um versus like you know powering out of a corner in a rear wheel drive car is a little bit different and you're you're kind of having to manage that today. Everything was just it was just there, um, and there wasn't ever an instance where I was like, "Man, we're going to lose control of this car." Just it just ran, and uh, for a time, Finch and I had laps that were pretty pretty similar. And we checked our Apex Pro, and we made speed in different places, and that was great. And then I told Finch that well, there's no reason that he should be matching me on pace he's a lot faster and then he went a lot faster um so the the civic in the the mugen civic and almost completely stock trim it's like uh you know just like a quick reflash with a uh, flash pro um or a honda Adel flash pro and tires and brake pads Ran a 48.8 for Finch, and I'm in like the, the 51s-ish. Yeah. Uh, 151.8 you had, because I had a yeah, so about three 151, five, Which, which is a long time, but like <laughs> you were hammering on the car in the last session. Um, it was but, more closer to a time attack approach, but still a little conservative in some areas. But like <laughs> car feels good, and it is so 
rewarding to go to a track in a car that you can run hard and not have to worry about ever. You just just run it. So like if you have yeah. a street car and you're thinking like, hey, I need my car to have 400 horsepower and I need it to have all the arrow and I need it to blah, blah, blah. In order to go to do a track day, that is the wrong approach. Yeah. And I'm telling you that because that is exactly what I did. And I, I was using horsepower to mask driving inability and discomfort. And so like now it's, it's focusing on how fast can I go through that corner? And like, can I push here? And how do I go faster instead of just saying, well, you know, I'll make up all the time on the streets. Yeah. Because we got passed by a C8 Corvette today on slicks. Um, Bob. Co- yeah. yeah, Bob, Bob's Corvette or Bob's Vet or what? License plate says Bob's Vet. Um, yes. We got Bob, passed. Bob's a dumbass. If coming you're, if you're out listening. of a. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Bob. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's not going to buy a shirt now. <laughs> if you're a Patreon supporter, Bob, I apologize. Um <laughs> No, but Bob passed the slowest us coming. C8 Corvette on slicks I've ever seen. Bob I'm was not on even slicks. Sorry. He's got a C8 Corvette, and he passed us on the straight after turn five at Barber, and uh, checked up hard on the brake zone into six, overslowed by a lot, especially being on slicks, and uh, we almost rear-ended him because he was not a predictable driver. Um, because Civic. I, I'll be honest, is fast in the corners as it's set up. It's fast enough. And a lot of these guys in the big power cars, they're not any faster in any of the corners. Everything that they make up on us is on the straights. I love be- that you guys ran with the C8 Corvette on slicks and the Civic. It was it, pretty funny. It was by far one of the most fun things of the weekend. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can come in the point by on the straightaway. Whoa, he slowed down yeah. way early. And then here we are, three quarters of a lap later. Hey, we're still right, right behind Bob. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> like, what's the deal? Uh, we learned, and I think you said this because you shared some videos with Finch and I that uh, the amount of grip in turn one is so unbelievably deceptive. All you have to do is get the car to turn in. That's it. And as it, you know, you go down the hill and the car starts to load up again, it'll go where you want. And so we got passed by a GT3 uh, on our way into one, and like. You know, Finch touches the brakes and just hucks it into one and is on his way into two. And we are on the bumper of a GT3 and he cannot out corner us. And it's like, this is a, this is a fucking Civic. Yeah. Like, go faster. My car costs 5% of what your car does. Go faster. Yeah. There's some big driver disparity in the GT3 community. Very much agreed. Yeah. Um, there's some guys out there that like you'll you'll be like, there's a G, and he's gone. Yes, and then there's a guy that you're like, this guy is trying to like eat a sandwich while he drives. I don't know what's happening. There, you can clearly see the difference of the guy who has been tracking and has been very experienced. And he goes, oh, I can afford this GT3 now. I'm just going to buy the ultimate from factory. You know, turn it, start it, change the brakes, pads, rotors, etc. Guy versus. I want to show off GT3 guy and oh I should that's what's made for right let me go track it oh my god why these other cars so fast yeah. <laughs> well I don't know there's to me there's something scary if you don't have the ability there's something really scary about driving a car with the performance ceiling that, that that's that high yeah um, I would agree like I don't want a car that I really have to worry about like if I step into the throttle too early we're gonna send it into this wall. And like, I don't want that problem. I don't, 
I don't have the ability for it anymore. And I probably never did have the ability for it, but like that doesn't sound fun to me, right? Like driving a slow or excuse me, a fast car kind of slow sounds like not fun. I would rather drive as hard as I can in a civic than like be completely out of my element in a really, really fast, insane car. I think you're hitting a little on what Scott Robertson was hitting on with his podcast about, by the way, also on the track tune. That's uh, that's track walking podcast. That is track Scott walking. And uh, Seth, about, right? yes, about what's more rewarding, you know, like, is it better to drive a slow car to this absolute limit, find every inch out of it on the track, you know, side to side, everything, you're, you're saving a lot on, on brakes, you're saving a lot on tires, you're saving a lot on this, but... When you know you're getting everything or almost everything out of a car, it's rewarding. Absolutely. It's very rewarding. Now, I mean, the last car I drove prior to your car on track, I think, was the one lap one LE at NCM. And that's a that car will bite you quick yeah, if you are a little aggressive animal. with that throttle. It's a completely different animal, completely different way of attacking the tr- course entirely. And there's a lot of risk and reward with a car like that. Where your car was completely stable at no point did i feel that you know anything was going on that was even like ooh, like ooh, that caught me off guard a little bit yeah at no point and after my first session you obviously saw in session two i was more comfortable and ready to go for a lap yeah i need to go faster tomorrow i'm gonna try really hard i don't know if it's possible for me to do it but i'm gonna try really hard yeah i'll, I'll help so the, the, the thing i'll chime in on the I definitely agree with everything covered here. You know, if, if you're listening to this because you're interested in getting in on the track, just rent a car. I mean, yeah, just run it. Doesn't matter. I've done that a bunch. Like a lot of us have. It's it's a car a car that's you know completely stock is probably not going to break on the track, and it's still pretty fun. But the on the on the GT3 topic, just because that's relevant for my experience this weekend, that the car is like the the, the GT3 is such a and GT4 and all and, and anything similar any you know, highly track prepared factory car. They're so balanced. Like it's not ZL one, one LE. Yeah. A few of those this weekend. Yep. Several zero L one, one LEs. Um, Mustang GT three fifty R's. They're not overpowered. They're not, you know, under braked or under tired. Like they're, they're, they're even across. They do everything well. So it, it, I, I lose a lot of frustration with drivers that buy them and then don't pursue perfecting their craft because they have a car that yes it's fast they have to adapt themselves to like stay ahead of the car but the car does what they ask it to do like telepathically it's very very good it's a very strong instrument and yeah they're not benefiting themselves by starting in a car that's so fast but you can you can still you can learn the skill set i mean that that gt3 that i you know bobby's gt3 that i drove today big difference between bob and the corvette my coaching clients bobby different guy badass love them uh the, the car is so good i mean you, you get to the track at like like you get a little past the apex almost at every corner and you're at 100 percent throttle on street tires with 500 horsepower because the car just hooks up like it's 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 just a it's a very and i'm i'm very biased i have a lot of experience in 911s and that like platform so it's very comfortable for me but if you're listening to this and you're going these guys are making fun of me because i'm the slow guy in my gt3 don't don't necessarily think you need to like go sell it and buy a slow car. Just challenge yourself to like truly understand the physics, sure. the weight transfer, well, how to get a car around the track. You know, fast. you talked about um, you know GT3 and you mentioned GT4. Uh, one of our friends has a GT4, and um, I would argue that um, you know if you are not an elite driver, 
it's a fantastic car to have. A big difference between the GT3 and the GT4 is just the amount of horsepower that's available. Um, yeah. For a, a giant portion of the track community, any car that makes more than 400 wheel is a lot and it's dangerous, yeah. right? Like it, it, you Finch is not that majority. Finch is the oddball, but like uh, a, a GT four probably makes what? 300 to 400 wheel. 385. Yeah. Like, the, high, high threes. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it is a great rewarding car to be in. It's, it's a compliant car. It's, it's predictable. Um, but like when you, when that number starts to go up from there, uh, you yeah. can get yourself into a really bad situation. Having the ability to buy a car uh, doesn't mean that you're invincible. Yeah. And high horsepower cars scare me these days. Yeah. GT fours. I've, I've coached. I coached in two of them this year, and it's a it's a great car. Like if you want to spend that amount of money and you don't want to, you don't want to go as fast as a as a GT three is going to allow you to do. The GT four is a much more balanced car. Like I mean, it's a mid engine car. 50-50 weight distribution. 911's got all the weight over the ass, so it's a different driving dynamic. But they have they do they do some things really well too. But the GT4s are really good cars. But the gearbox is the same as the GT3 Touring I drove today, but with 130 less horsepower. So the gear ratios are if you're actually considering it, GT4 gearing is odd. It's very odd. It's very tall. Doesn't the second gear like do 90 something? Yeah. So at Barber, you barely touch fourth. In a GT4, like you, you, you kiss fourth gear like on the back straight. Weird. Yeah, it's really tall, really, really tall. Whereas in a GT4, in a, in a, I'm sorry, GT3, you have 500 horsepower, and so the gearing makes a lot more sense. I believe it's the same transmission, it might be a different rear end. It's like um, the the C6 Z06 though with the LS7 505 horse has gigantic second gear as well. And then like we, at least I know someone who does a King of the Mountain, other autocross, and now he's getting into track stuff. It has four ten gears in the back of his to make up for all that. Yeah, just oh, I'm going to use these gears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's something that's just something to consider in the GT4. Uh, otherwise, a fantastic platform. Like, don't let that deter. You know. So um, we've been into this one for a little while now that the power's back on, but um, uh, closing thoughts on track cars for people uh, for from this group. My advice is. Horsepower is like it's overrated, especially if you're not already fast. Like, like I, if if you are a fast driver in a slow car, you can add horsepower and that's great. But if you're not getting all of it before then, adding power is um, not only dangerous, which you may not care, but like, you're, it's expensive. Horsepower and horsepower typically also comes with weight in a car, and it adds costs and like. Sometimes people complain about the cost to run time attack in, in, in the series that, that we run with grid life. And it's like, well, racing is cheap, but winning is expensive. But at the same time, like if you start with, you know, a 3,500 pound Evo and you want to make 600 horsepower and be fast and do aero and all this stuff, like cost goes up, man. Like start with a light car and just like learn how to drive it really hard and then go from there. Totally agree with there. Cost goes up, reliability goes down. Well, you are the perfect example of what not to do. Not that you're not a fast driver, but like you've been driving a 640 horse wheel horsepower Durango, which weighs like 6,000 pounds. Like everything about that is wrong. And yes, it goes fast round track, but you can watch the fuel gauge go down while you're driving 
and the amount of money that you spend on tires is insane. Yeah, um, but as we've uh, talked about before, these are vehicles I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough to be invited to co-drive with. Sure, um, but just uh, this is a perfect example. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll pull our our Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park to say you you were so busy trying to figure out whether you could, you didn't stop to think about whether you should. Like the Durango is a track thing and it does do really well, but like why? Have we ever talked about that? I also have a lot of high horsepower Durango experience. I don't think so. No. Explain, please. I was driving. This was relevant in my life recently, but I was I was at the wheel of a thousand horsepower Durango when it blew up. And previous to that, I had driven it a fairly good bit. So a good friend of mine built a, like an 05, 06 all wheel drive Durango. Yeah, turbo, four twenty six Hemi crate motor with a big single turbo. Turbo was mounted under the rear passenger door like that far back in the chassis huge huge snail like i don't even know the inlet outlet i mean big and ran like 150 shot of nitrous race gas thousand got spool that big turbo yeah i mean you gotta spool it had had a launch control program had a five-speed allison transmission from a diesel truck and it would get it on low boost it made 650 at the wheels and it it had willwood you know big brake kit bilstein you know lowering lowering like kit it, it handled well it was an animal and then you blew it up i was driving and it exploded yeah like with, with fire that will happen fire. sometimes uh not without all the gauges just went dark and it stopped running it was very undramatic my experience but, was with fire so with fire, <laughs> this is with fire mine was without <laughs> yeah but it had about i was told it had forty thousand miles on the build it's a lot of miles um, so yeah it might be for sale soon so what about closing oh, yeah. remarks from these guys my closing remarks is prior to today in the Mugen, co-driving with you, like I said, the last thing I drove was almost a 670-wheel horsepower Camaro, the 101F1LE. It is for sale. Um, otherwise, you don't need anything like that to get the same amount of adrenaline, rush, and excitement that I had today by driving a stock Civic at a new track I'd never been to. I had a great time. I'm very appreciative to be invited to this and be here in Birmingham at Barber Motorsports Park. And I tell everyone, buy the Miata, buy the Civic, buy the reliable cars that you can afford. They have tons of parts with the tinier tires that you can go through and go through and go through. Not worry about your brakes, not worry about your rotors, not worry about that budget because you can afford it. I think Moss has said that the best track car that you can get is the one that you can afford to track all the time. Yes, and that's my ending point was just track track it track track i came out here one of the biggest reasons because like tom oh just go to tracks go do every event you can yep every chance do you want to drive my stock civic in a birmingham 10 hour something away drive yes yep (laughs) what about you ethan you'll be you'll be the final remarks for this show uh, just make sure, even if you think you have spare parts, bring spare parts, please. Or bring Ethan, actually. Uh, I mean, I try to get out as, as many events as I can. I mean, depending wherever I am in the United States. But So what did we need today? We needed an angle grinder. We cut the uh, the inside fenders of the, the, the Mugen apart, and then we cut them again. And, like, we clearanced an awful lot, and it's it's not rubbing badly right now. Not bad enough to cut a tire apart. Still rubbing. Um, and so 
Like that wasn't a problem that we were expecting, but it's a problem we had to deal with the track. So be ready for what you don't expect, I suppose. And another thing I want to add is uh, even though you might bring spare parts for your own car, somebody else might have something similar, like varying models and whatnot. Like I had Honda pads for my 8th Gen Civic Si, but those also are the same pads and rotors for an S2000. Right. And one of our friends, Ronnie, was he thought he had spare pads. And luckily, I had brand new Hawk pads in my car that I was going to throw in my car, but for a way later date. And I was like, well, you can have these here now, and I can just worry about this stuff later. Yeah. So be the, be the kind of person at the track that you need when you need something, right? So be available and help and uh, make sure everybody has a good time. So... Thanks everybody for listening. This was this was a little long, long, little bit long one. Um, it's a long boy. It's it's a long boy. Um, <laughs> uh, we appreciate all you Patreons. Um, we appreciate Andrew for inviting us into his home, which is rad. Thanks. And you guys uh, can stay if you want to pitch a tent. Well, not like a boater or anything. Not like a boater. <laughs> it's the second time I've heard that today. That's it's a little more insulated. <laughs> um. But we, we appreciate you listening, and uh, hopefully you guys had fun with this one. See you soon. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jabay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes, and come and find us in the pits at a gridlock to say hello. Hello.